We're all about turning a crappy situation into something positive. A quarter million dollars of credit card I debt. I still remember the day when no one turned up. Throw it in the garbage and start from scratch. I could give myself a chance, so I started something. I mean, I think that counts as from poop to gold. <laughs> Welcome back to From Poop to Gold. I'm your co-host, Benton Crane. And today, I'm joined by Sydney Deongson. Did I say it right, you, Sydney? That was perfect. You nailed yes. it. Yes. <laughs> You, um, you, your last name is a little bit challenging for me, but I'm, I'm happy to hear I got it right. So Sydney has a YouTube channel with over 85,000 followers, and the theme of the channel is helping people become better storytellers, right? Yep, that's right. Um, in addition to that, Sydney is the founder of Story Chaser Media. Uh, which is a video production house, correct? Mm-hmm. Yep, yep, absolutely. Awesome. Doing just that. And again, with the ethos of the YouTube channel, helping companies, nonprofits, uh, business people, help, helping them tell their story so that the whole world can hear their perspective. How, how did you become a storyteller? Uh, you know, I've always been interested in storytelling. Like, I, I had a camera when I was a kid. My, my, my uncles would, like, film family parties and stuff like that. So I've been surrounded by that my entire life and been so intrigued by it. And um, funny enough, I used to live out in L.A. And, you know, they do like these casting calls for kids mm-hmm. uh, ever so often. And, you know, I decided just to do it. Told my mom and dad. And I was maybe 11 at the time. Like, hey, I want to try this out. Anyway, 5,000 kids were there. We all auditioned. And they're going to just select 10 out of those 5,000. I happened to make it, you know, in the top 10. And uh, we got agents. And I, I booked my first commercial with, uh, were you ad- were you auditioning for a specific commercial? No, or just to be just, an actor. I see. So yeah. just auditioning to be represented. Exactly. Okay. And so I got my first commercial, super excited because I wanted to be an actor at the time. Okay. I did stage plays when I was a kid. And when we got on set and we were filming, I was actually more You said intrigued. this was for Nestle. For Nestle. Okay. I was actually more intrigued by the people behind the camera. Okay. And so I stopped acting and I pursued filmmaking, did that in high school, went to film school in Orange County, Mm -hmm. Uh, went to Chapman University. And uh, yeah, just, I just, I just fell in love with just the crafting of stories and making something from nothing and showing it to people and just, you know, waiting to see what their reaction would be, how Mm -hmm. it would go well and if it impacted them or not. And so, so yeah, so I've been, I did that, did the whole Hollywood studio thing realized I didn't like working for people. And so I did my <laughs> own thing. Uh, I freelanced everywhere I could, shot weddings, moved out to England, uh, shot a lot of stuff out there. And then this thing called YouTube came along and I wanted to be a part of it. Because the main thing that the one goal that us filmmakers, us film students wanted to, to achieve is right after high school, you get a job, mm-hmm. right? They don't teach you the business side of things. Like you're expected to write a, a spec script, maybe intern at a studio, hoping to climb the ladder. Mm-hmm. And then one day, one day, Maybe a producer might read your stuff and you might make it into the org, right? Mm-hmm. So the number one goal for us filmmakers is distribution. But that was a lot of steps for us filmmakers. But when YouTube came along, that took away right. those steps. And you can just upload your content, your story for free. Yeah, one of my, one of my old college roommates, Devin Graham or Devin Supertramp, oh. um, it, it's funny because he dropped out of film school yeah. to pursue his passion yeah. on YouTube. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people back at film school were really critical about mm-hmm. about his decision to do so. And a lot of people were really critical about his work, too. Mm. Like, um, you know, it's not uh, – it's too run and gun or yeah. whatever yeah. or, you know, whatever yeah, stupid yeah. criticisms they right. could come up with. Right. Um, but the reality is he paved his own, mm-hmm. his own path and he has by far and away surpassed – 
anyone who you know was there mm-hmm. as an expert at the film school oh, yeah. you know professors yeah. and stuff yeah and um and so i think history will look back on on that decision and it's very clear now that devin made the right decision <laughs> yes. oh yes he did <laughs> he's a good guy <laughs> um so so for you being yeah. like you went through film school mm-hmm. you've seen you know the official film world in mm-hmm. hollywood yeah. versus versus kind of pursuing your own path on YouTube. Tell us about some of the differences. Yeah, I think when, when you're working in a place like Hollywood, um, there's a lot of politics going on. You, you have to say certain things or act a certain way so that you can make it, where a place like YouTube, you can just be you. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if, if, if you come across authentic, if you come across um, as someone that's, uh, that's appealing or has a voice or has something to share, something has a uh, person that has value, then people are going to receive that genuinely and, and cling on to that because it's authentic and surreal because it's hard. Hollywood is hard. Life is hard in general. Mm-hmm. And so with a place like YouTube, it's like a place where people can just be. Yep. And I love that. And a lot of people can relate to that. You know, I, I, I know I am not the coolest person in the world and I'm totally cool with that, you know, but there are people like me, people that are camera geeks that, that do, you know, fun things that have families that, that, you know, just that are very similar to me. And, and that's, and that's my audience. You know, so so with Hollywood, you have to make something that that will sell mm-hmm. where YouTube, if you make something for you, then sure enough, there are people like you around the world that will want to watch the same thing. And not only that, but, you know, to be successful on YouTube, mm-hmm. you don't have to be, I don't know, Kim Kardashian no. or, or, or someone mm-hmm. like that. You can be you. And even if that means so in your case, mm-hmm. you know, you have 85,000 followers and yeah. growing that does that's not a kim kardashian audience no. but it doesn't matter it's an audience who's connecting with you and that's allowing you to build a career yeah with the help of that audience yeah yeah exactly I, it's um, i was watching one of my older vlogs and i was i was so happy because i had a uh, maybe 200 subscribers. I was like, mm-hmm. this is amazing. Probably making $21 off YouTube AdSense, uh-huh. you know, a month or something like that. But I was so happy because that's 200 people willing to follow a nobody. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? And then now, you know, 80,000 people later, it's like, wow, there are so people that, that, that trust my voice and want to follow my journey. And, you know, that means so much to me. And I, and I care and love every single one of them. Think about that. 85,000 people. That's like people. a stadium, man. Right? It's crazy. Woo! That's incredible. Bumps. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's that's so awesome. Um, okay, let's dive into your backstory a yes. little bit. So, um, so you're pretty successful, and I've noticed that every successful person has gone through some serious crap to get there. Yeah. And, of course, that's the theme of the podcast, <laughs> From Poop to Gold. Yeah. Let's talk about your poop to gold moment. Yeah. What? Along your path, what was that like obstacle that you had to overcome or that hard time that you had to go through? Yeah, uh, I think a couple of things. I think one coming from an Asian background, there's this this high standard that you just have to meet as a kid. You know, it's not enough to get an A minus. You have to have an A plus. And so, you know, for me, having to to have a career in YouTube was not something that my parents really liked. They wanted me to be a doctor, you know, mm-hmm. uh, or you know, something of that profession. And when I told them, hey, I'm, I think I'm an artist. I want to go into filmmaking. Like, it was a hard thing to, uh, to do, but I knew it was the right thing for me, 
right? Like everyone else in my family went to the medical field or were lawyers or whatever, but I... I so very like heavy it was family deep. obligations it type thing. It was deep. And it wasn't like to the point where we broke up as a family. Like yeah. they supported me regardless, but it was still a hard barrier to, to break through. But I was so, it was so deep uh, when, inside me that I, I just, I couldn't see myself be a doctor, I, I just couldn't, like I needed to make something. And so it, it wasn't until I started making things and people watching it and they saw that it was good that they were like, okay, maybe you got something here. Maybe we'll send you to film school. Um, so, so talk us through that, you know, that transition from the poop to the gold. How, how did that kind of resolve itself? Yeah. I mean, it took a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I, I freelanced for a while. And so they, they saw that I was supporting myself financially and I was getting by. And, uh, when I, when I made the announcement that I was going to do YouTube, it was laughed at because it's like YouTube, like that's not a real job. I mean, come on, you should, if you want to do filmmaking, then stick to client work or go back to school or whatever. Um, and so I start making YouTube content. Well, funny enough, I actually started my YouTube channel back in 2012. Okay. Right? 2012. And that's when Casey Neistat started to blow up and stuff like that. But I was so afraid of not having that very first episode good that it took me five years, five years of, of procrastination to actually make anything on my channel. So 2016, 2017, that's when I, uh, I, just, I just had it. I, I was fed up. I was like, I, I need to do this. I, again, I felt that conviction. I'm like, I need to make something. And I accepted the fact that my first episode, my first 10 episodes, my first 100 episodes are going to be bad. I'm like, I'm just going to get through it, but I just, I have to start. And so I start, channel doesn't do well. I copied Casey and I sat like to a T to the editing, the music and the way he tell, tells his stories and like 10 videos in, I'm like, I'm not getting any traction. Like people, there's like maybe one, two views and maybe that's from my family and from my mm-hmm. friends. Um, but it got nowhere. And, uh, and I, uh, I just had a kid at the time and we're about to have our second kid. And, and I was like, you know what? Forget it. I'm going to, I'm going to make something that's going to be special for me, something that's meaningful for me. And so I filmed that video. It was about me and my family funny enough, that video blew up, people related. And that made me realize, oh, wow, I need to be making stuff that I'm passionate about Mm -hmm. something that's meaningful for me because I'm getting all these comments, you know, from people saying, wow, that, that makes me think about my family, or I want to be documenting moments like this with my family. It was meaningful for them. And so that was my realization that, wow, I, I just have to be me on YouTube and create the things that I love. And that's such a big deal too, because you know, so oftentimes you can go to conferences and stuff and you hear people talk about all these tactics yeah. of how to be successful on YouTube yeah. and keyword research and thumbnail design and, and metadata and mm-hmm. this, that, and the other. Right. Yeah. And sure. All that stuff has its purpose. It it's, it's all important, but if there's not a passionate story mm-hmm. underlying it all, then none of that matters. Right. And, and so it's like to hear you to hear you describe that it's just like it's like hallelujah right if yeah. all creators could just understand start with making something that they're passionate about mm-hmm. and tell a story that they're passionate about and once you have that then you can worry about all that other stuff right yeah oh totally I, I, the number one question i get asked on on my youtube channel and um and on instagram is like how do you stand out on youtube like, like I'm in the filmmaking camera gear niche, niche right? Mm-hmm. Like there, there's a lot of us in that category. Like, how do I stand out in that field? How does anyone stand out on YouTube? And I keep telling them, you have to be you. 
like just like with every snowflake, every fingerprint, like they're all different, so uniquely made and different. And you can't copy anyone else because people are pretty good at at, at BS. Like mm-hmm. they have a pretty good BS meter. But if you are true to you, if you if you are rooted in a strong foundation and you know who you are, then you're going to stand out on YouTube or on any platform because you are being uniquely you. That's how you stand out. And so for me, I know I'm not a cool guy. Like I'm not I'm not like this good-looking, tall uh, person that wears cool clothes With and has all the, the best camera. Right, Ex- exactly. I'm a goofy guy. I like to dance in my camera reviews. I like to do dumb things, but silly things that 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 are funny enough, uh, r- relatable to a lot of people, you know. And that's uh-huh. why I stand out, and I'm I'm okay with that. I'm okay with not being cool, and I just I you know I own it. Okay, Sydney, talk us through your creative process. Where do your ideas come from, and how do those ideas develop? So I have. I already have like a backlog of ideas to do and so I fortunately I organize them in a way where I think maybe if I do this video in September or this one in November it, you know I'll be in LA so maybe I can collab with this person whatever so ideas are, are there uh, I've just found a way to organize uh, those ideas um, on a web app that I use called Trello and, uh, and it's there where I can like drag and drop like Maybe if I want to do this idea sooner, I can do mm-hmm. that. Um, and so, yeah, so I, ideas, all creatives, they have ideas just piled up like, you know, in the back pockets. And um, it, I just figured out a way how to organize that. And uh-huh. So I just kind of pick and choose what I want to do next. Is there a time or a place where the ideas tend to flow more than others? Yeah, uh, either in the shower or on the toilet <laughs> all the time. You, you would be shocked <laughs> at how many people give that exact same answer. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I have a theory. Okay. I, I, don't, I don't have anything to back this up yeah. other, than, other than a theory, but the shower is the one place where we don't take our phones and, okay. and I, I have this sneaky suspicion that just the act of setting our phones aside and going and taking a five, ten minute shower or whatever, that act of like disconnecting yeah. enough allows those creative wheels to, to spin freely. I don't know if that's true or not, but that, that's my working theory. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that might be true. I, I, I read something where it's good for kids to be bored because it forces them to be creative. Right. So there you go. Yeah, um, it's, it's interesting. I have little kids. Yeah. It sounds like you, you've got little yeah. kids as well. I've noticed that oftentimes when kids say, Mom, I'm hungry, mm-hmm. or Dad, I want a snack. If you actually stop and unpack that, you realize, no, they're not actually hungry. They're bored. Mm. And and that it kind of becomes like a way that they try to deal with their boredom. And and so we've tried to recognize that and and push back and say, Oh no, you're you're just bored. You just need to go find something to do. Why yeah. don't you go draw a picture? Yeah. Or why don't you go read a book or, yeah. or whatever it yeah. is. Kind of fascinating. It is fascinating. Yeah. Um, do you have any current projects that are in the works that you'd like to give a little sneak peek to our audience? Yeah. Um, so I've developed a really good relationship with Mazda, uh, an amazing brand. And uh, I pitched them the idea of, uh, of a family road trip with one of their cars. And they love the idea. And so uh, I'm working on that video. It's a real special video that means a lot to me and my family. But, uh, but it's cool because it works out for them because they, mm-hmm. have, they get to have content that's going to showcase their car as a, an amazing family car to take incredible road trips. Mm-hmm. So that's in the works at the moment. 
Uh, that's probably the biggest one I'm working on. Um, I'm also working on a mini documentary. Uh, it's a project that I did back in the Arctic uh, with Maza again, but it's a, it's more of a personal uh, has a personal touch to it where it just talks about focuses on the on the people on the trip so people in Vancouver the people in Tuktoyaktuk which is a village you know in the northern part of Canada and then to, to to all the people that were part of the journey to celebrating that those long 13 days on the road to all standing on the Arctic Ocean together and so it's, wow. a, it's a story about journey and not giving up and um, and where can our listeners keep up with you on these stories? So you can find all those stories on my YouTube channel, Sydney DeYoungson. Uh, you better spell that. I will. I will. So S-I-D-N-E-Y, not S-Y. And then my last name, <laughs> this is a funny one, D-I-O-N-G-Z-O-N. Or for people outside the States, Z-O-N. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. You spent some time in I did in, in, in the UK. England. That's right. <laughs> How was your time there? Oh, man, it was amazing. You know what? I had It was actually really good for me because I, I, I built up a little studio back in California. And then when I got married and moved to England, I had to sell all of that and figure out how to pack an entire studio in a backpack. Right. And so I shot weddings there. And so I had only one backpack to bring on every gig that I had. Took the train, you know, just went everywhere. But I had to learn how to pack a studio in a backpack. And it was the best thing for me. You know, I got to just focus on the necessary gear that's going to do just the essentials. Exactly. That'll do most of the jobs that I had. That's phenomenal. Sydney, talk to us about your networking strategies. Sounds like you've been able to connect into a brand like Mazda and yeah. probably several, several other brands. Yeah. How are these connections happening? So my, my first, uh, when I first started growing on YouTube, when I first reached 500 subscribers, I was like, wow, I'm halfway to a thousand. This is amazing. Maybe I should reach out to a brand and you know start reviewing products. Maybe like I I didn't think I would, was good enough or big enough to actually start doing that. But I'm like, you know what? What's the worst that can happen? They can always say no. And so I called up a, a backpack company that I admired, and I I Googled the the director of marketing and found his number, and mm-hmm. I gave him a call on his personal cell phone. Like okay. I called him, and he was so taken aback. And I was like, hey, I, hey my name's Sydney. I love your gear. You know, I'd, I'd love to do a review on this backpack. I got a growing uh, follow following on YouTube. You know, would you want to want to work with me? And because he was caught off guard, he was like, uh, "Yeah, sure, give me your address and I'll send it to you." And I'm like, <laughs> uh, "Okay, cool." <laughs> so I got my first backpack, right? And I'm like, "Oh, this is a free. This is a free product. I get to make a you know a video on a product that I love." And that was like my very first foray into into brand partnerships. And then I realized shortly after that, it's like, "Wow, I just made a relationship." And now we still have a good relationship. I still do product reviews for them every now and then, um, but. I realized if I make good relationships with uh, with brands that I admire, m- maybe there could be some collaboration. And so mm-hmm. I did that same thing. Uh, I, you know, sometimes I'd call, sometimes I'd email. Now I just send DMs to people that are brands that I admire and want to work with. And now it's reciprocated. You know, brands reach out to me. Mm-hmm. Mazda found me out of the blue. You know, they said, "Hey, we saw one of your videos. We like your message. We love that you love helping people become better storytellers. We want your personality, your type." Uh, to be associated with Mazda because that's who Mazda wants, and so uh, it's it's been it's been awesome. But I, I but I think what I realized real early on is that the numbers don't matter. It's the person that actually matters. You know, if you're yep. if you if you are uh, a good person, if you have something uh, valuable to share, if um, if your outlook in life is is positive and 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 you see life that way, then brands will want to work with you. Mm-hmm. They don't want someone negative yep. reviewing their product. You know, they want someone to want to see the potential of something. That's right. Yeah. 
Um, if you had to give our listeners one piece of advice, what would it be? Just start. Just, Just start. start. It took me five years, right? Five years to actually start making content on YouTube. Five years wasted, man. Like, yes, I have 85,000 uh, people following me now. Like, what what my life could have been if I did started back in 2012? Right. Right? But because... I was so afraid, like I wasted that time. And so just start, let your first 10, 50 videos suck. Just get over that. And eventually video number 51, you'll get better. Video 52, even more better. And so you just got to start. Yeah. I've been experiencing myself over the past several months of my path to just starting. Right. Mm. Um, And when I say that, I I mean, I had never put myself out there, so to speak. And, um, and it's only been in recent months that I've, I've finally opened myself up to, it's okay to be in front of the camera and it's okay to say things that sound awkward and to stumble over my words, but I, I'm still going to do it. I'm going to try. I'm going to put myself out there and over time, hopefully I'm becoming more and more comfortable, but it's still a work in progress. And funny enough, people relate to that vulnerability. Like Mm -hmm. they like that because it makes it relatable. People love an underdog story. You know, they really do. A lot of my polished videos don't get as many views, but the ones where I'm most vulnerable, they get the most views. Interesting. Right? It makes sense. Yeah, it does. Funny enough, people like connecting with people. Yep. <laughs> Who would have thought? <laughs> well, Sydney, it's such a pleasure to have you Likewise, on the show. It's yeah. been great to get to know you a little bit. Mm-hmm. I want to give you a copy of our book, From Poop to Gold. Oh, yes. Oh, my goodness. Look at that. That's amazing. Woo! I love it. I love. I was telling um, your coworkers, I judge a book by its cover all the time. Oh, good. If, good. Uh, if it doesn't look good to me, I won't read it. <laughs> Thank you very much. You're welcome. You're welcome. And for our listeners, if you haven't already checked out From Poop to Gold, it's a great look into how we've built our creative culture at Harmon Brothers. So I hope you like, share, and subscribe the podcast, and we'll see you on the next one.